I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. As I like to say it every time I get up here, the whole Bible is in, condensed in the book of Proverbs. And if you read it, and I'm hoping to get some of you more interested in the Scripture. You can find a whole lot of answers in the Bible. You can find a whole lot of power in the Bible. It's all released through the Word of God. And uh, looking at it and, and studying it and letting God open your heart to it, it makes such a difference. And this particular scripture I'm going to start with tonight is a difficult one. In Proverbs 19.11, I think it's going to be in the Amplified 19.11. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm going to leave it up there uh, while you're up. Uh, Brother, uh, Brother Hill, he's, and, I, and I, I feel this, he told me he really felt like he had a word from God for this Sunday night. And uh, it's going to be more oriented towards backsliders. So if you know somebody that you can invite to church, and I believe that if God is in this, which I believe God is, that that person has turned you down 50 times, you call them one more time and see if they'll come this Sunday. Would you do that? Would you do that to Sunday night? I mean, I think come Sunday morning, but Sunday night's when we want them here, okay? All right, so please do that. I believe he has a word. So I'm going to read this out of the Amplified, then I'm going to read King James. Good sense makes a man restrain his anger. Good sense. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. King James, the discretion of a man, deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word. You know, the thing I love about this scripture, it gives me hope that I could have been this day glorious. I could have been glorious. Because surely every day somebody is going to offend you. So if someone's offended me and I handle it correctly according to the Scripture, I can be glorious. That's what it's saying. And with the discretion of God's wisdom, you can defer your anger and ignore a person's transgression. You can turn the other cheek, you can pass over their provocation, and choose mercy over wrath. If there's anything that, that men need, they need this. Women are just about as bad anymore, but let's still put it on the men for this particular part of it. But I, I believe that regardless of who you are, that there's absolutely no way that you can pass over a transgression or get over an offense or deferred, if you would, unless you are spirit-filled, unless you've got the Holy Spirit within you working on you. God never makes you do anything. The Spirit of God never forces you. But when something is standing in front of you that offends you, it's the Spirit of God that will constantly scream in your ear, don't listen to it. Ignore it. How many times have you stood there and you've had that voice come over and over, ignore it, ignore it, and the carnal side was pushing you, and you, that's the reason you turn red in the face. It's the battle that goes on. In my case, it's the Holy Ghost versus Robertson inside of me, and it causes my lips to thin. That's what my wife says. And I get this steely look in my eyes, and I feel like I'd like to tear somebody's head off their shoulders and play basketball with it. And it's according to who you listen to, whether you're going to pass over this, and you're going to be glorious or not. So you have an opportunity here. Discretion. What is discretion? 
Discretion is the ability to know the right action for each occasion. That's what discretion is. It's deferring. Deferring is putting off or delaying or postponing something. Godly discretion chooses to delay and postpone getting angry when someone offends you. Now, there is a, there's a point there. You're, you're in a situation at work, and, and the Bible tells me that I've got to put this off. I've got to defer this anger. So, I, 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 okay, I'm deferring it. I'm doing everything right. I'm offering the other cheek. Now, I, I, I've got to defer this. That means I'm putting it off. So where do I take it? I take it home and take it out on my wife. How many men would say that you've ever done that? Anybody want to say amen? Look at that. They don't want to say amen. They all put their hands up, though. They knew that no one else could. I could see this men in the back, right? You take it out. You do. And that's not what we're deferring it to. We're not deferring it to our family members. We're deferring this thing to take it to a, a, a closet, to the garage, to the church, somewhere out in the woods, and you go out and you tell God about it. That is a power. There is a power in prayer there that you could never understand unless you've done it sometime. You take your anger. You know, it's just really fine. It's okay. Now, I, you may not like what I'm about to say, but it's okay to get out in the woods and scream and say, God, why did you let that fool do that to me? Better that than to do it to your wife. Isn't that correct? Why did you let him do it? Because you do that enough and eventually... God's going to give you the answer. You know, you're going to realize, hey, you know, I, I handled it. I didn't take it out on her, and I didn't take it out on him, so I'm a winner in this situation. Believe me, God's got broad shoulders, and he can take all of that. So when you defer, you take it somewhere else. So, you know, most people, when offended by others, they, they bristle up with hostility. They choose to be, uh, to, to be hurt, get indignant. They, they bite back, and they plot revenge, and they have no discretion for feelings. Rule their hearts. They do not. They, they don't know deferment, for they react first, then think about it. This is this is a mark of a proud, forward, if you would, spirit, according to Proverbs sixteen twenty eight, and that is completely contrary to grace. Completely contrary to grace, all the way around. So you know, it's if you begin to understand and look at this, and and find out, all of us deal with it. This is why these proverbs are so, are so good. This is why that we need to understand them. Anger, anger is really a temporary insanity. That's what anger is. And, and to give in to its hot and hasty demands will, will cause you to misjudge an offense and retaliate out of proportion. Once an offense is turned into strife, then you have a war that's not easily ended. Discretion is wise choice to regain your sanity before judging an offense. You've got to regain your sanity. I used to be insane with anger. I mean, really, I was insane. I, uh, I've had to deal with it a little bit with the Holy Ghost, but I used to be insane with anger. It would cause you to just... You know, do the stupidest thing, say it, and then you used to get into fights and feel bad after you got into a fight because you hurt somebody. I used, to feel, I used to be that way, and, you know, I realize now that it was the insanity that was working on me. I was insane, and then after your sanity, after you've, you've, you've purged your anger on somebody else, then the sanity comes back and you realize how stupid all this really was. 
I'm sure no one else can understand what I'm talking about, but that's just the way I was. And thank God that you can be delivered and you don't have to deal with that and have to, to give in to that kind of thing. We learn that anger is uh, not released will, will dissipate, and it really will. You won't blow up. You won't blow a tube. You know, you get there and you're all steaming, and you know, you get steam comes out your ears and all that. It doesn't really happen that way. It will dissipate. It'll evaporate, if you would. And often by the, the next day, sometimes by the next hour, but by the next day you can hardly remember offenses of the previous day. But this benefit requires two things, two things you have to do. You must defer your anger by not releasing it. Defer it by not releasing it. You must keep a spirit that glories in passing over offenses and learn to defer your anger. You have to, you know, when you can really understand I've accomplished something by deferring this anger, and you feel, you feel glorious. I overcome this. I, it, it's much harder, for, as far as I'm concerned, for any man to be able to walk away from a fight than to get into one. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you agree or not. It doesn't take much for someone to punch. And you may have to pay for it the rest of your life if you do. But when you can walk away from that situation, you can defer that anger. That takes a great deal more strength. And that's what I say. I, I believe it takes the Holy Ghost for a person to really be able to handle it that well. So, uh, you know, we must choose a spirit which glories in forgiving those who hurt us by, by choosing the way of wisdom, peace, and love. According to James, I think James 3.17. It should be coming up behind me there. James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure or undefiled. Then it is peace-loving and courteous, considerate and gentle. It is willing to yield to reason, full of compassion and good fruits. It is wholehearted and straightforward, impartial, unfeigned, free from doubts, wavering and insincerity. It's free from all of that. That's the kind of spirit that I think all of us should want. Uh, if we really want to be an apostolic church, we have to learn to really walk in that. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we can walk in it. And we can desire it and we can push it forward and, and try our best to live that kind of life. Man's natural inclination prides itself in quickly spotting and righting personal wrongs. But, it, it, you know, no matter what, it, that becomes wicked to us. We need to choose mercy, peace, and love. The transgressions here are personal offenses. Now, I want to I get into something a little bit further here this evening. The transgressions that he's speaking of here are personal offenses against you. Because we, we have that question mark that comes up in our minds. All right, what do I do? What do I do? You know, you just told me that I have to do this, and I got somebody over there roughing up my wife. Now, I didn't say hit them. The Bible says not to lay hands quickly on anybody. Hit him with a club, so you're not going to lay hands on them. Uh, no, no. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get into that. <clears throat> this proverb is not teaching us to pass over or compromise with sins against God or rightful authority. Parental authority, civil government, employers must still enforce rules. There still has to be rules. The offenses uh, here are the relatively minor transgressions of others that irritate and provoke us. Now, now this, is, this is a really great proverb, one of the best. And 
and if practiced consistently, personal relationships would be perfect and, and human societies would be joyful and productive. This is, this is true love and friendship. Marriages observing this rule will be glorious marriages. Churches practicing this discretion will be happy and they'll be, they'll be full of the Holy Ghost. And if everyone overlooked personal offenses and gloried in the opportunity to forgive, life could be wonderful if we could really get a hold of that particular proverb, if we could really live that proverb. How much, how much wonderful things could really be for all of us. But pride keeps a man from deferring anger. He's got to strike back in quick revenge to protect his imagined superiority and his hurt feelings. Desiring preeminence over others, he, he's got to protect his self-interest. Uh, you, you can see it. You've all seen it. Sullen faces appear. Sharp words are spoken. Criticisms are hurled without cause. Blows might even be thrown. This is a proud, foolish man. A proud, foolish man. God's wisdom does not change. Jesus taught the rule plainly in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, where he called for offering another cheek to personal enemies. He said not to resist evil when it is personal offense against you. He said to do good to your personal enemies. This is the way of godly peacemakers, and they become very good at it. They glory in forgiving, and they are glorious in forgiveness. They are the true sons of God. A person that can live that kind of life is a true son of God. Peter, ever the impetuous disciple... He had to call Jesus. Now, you think about him. He was like a lot of us. This is the reason he said, how many times have I got to forgive that person? Seven? He had a desire to limit how many times he had to forgive a person. That's why Jesus said 70 times seven. Because he knew he went far above Peter's natural discretion. You can read that in Matthew 8, 18, 21 through 35. Yet by the strength of the Lord, we can be godly and righteous, according to Philippians 4.13. That should come up right here. Philippians 4.13. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient and Christ-sufficiency. I like the Amplified says it very well. I am self-sufficient and Christ-sufficiency. You see that? There's a self-sufficient there. But it's saying you can only be self-sufficient if you are in His sufficiency. Only what we have inside of Jesus Christ can make us self-sufficient. That is the only way we can be that way. We have to rely on what's in our hearts through the Holy Ghost to be sufficient. And that's what he's saying in this particular case. And that's a, that's a great scripture as well. True Christianity is a religion of forgiveness, for it is the, the cornerstone of our relationship with God. It takes far more grace and character, oh, to, oh, excuse me, character to overlook a personal offense than to strike back in anger. Godly wisdom and strength is a desire and the ability to rule a hasty spirit. Those who think passing over offenses, weaknesses, fear, and compromise are foolish people. You can pass over anything. Believe me, God makes a difference. I've seen it in my own life, and many of you have too. When you've walked away from something that you love to have fixed, you love to have taken care of that, and you walk away and you feel, if you're a man, you feel like you've let down everything. You feel like you've let yourself down, your family down, because you walked away. You feel like you're less than a man because you let that guy do what he did, say what he said, and you walk away. And then a week down the road, you look at that guy, and he's in a royal mess. And then you have that desire to gloat. You know? 
See, go over to him, you know, when he's laying there in pain, got both broken legs. I told you, you shouldn't have messed with me. See what God did to you? And then you're able to walk away and have the same thing happen to you. (laughs) Best thing you do is send him flowers and stay away. It's the best thing he could do. (laughs) I want you to listen to this. When, when, When the Lord Jehovah revealed his glory to Moses, he said this. He said, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth in Exodus 34 and 6. Now, I want you to look what I just, to what I just said here. Observe, again, what constitutes the glory of God. What constitutes God's glory is mercy, grace, long-suffering, goodness, and truth. That's what Moses was looking for in the cleft of the rock. He said, show me your glory. And this was repeated. This is my glory. Mercy, grace, long-suffering, goodness, and truth. So any time that you show any of those attributes, you are showing the glory of God. You're going to be offended today. Oh, you already have. Let's just put that we'll be offended tomorrow. And I hope you remember what I've said tonight. By the treatment of others. It's certainty because you're living in a sinful world. You're going to have numerous opportunities to practice wisdom, grace, and glory. So what will you do? Will you defer anger or resentment and glory and an opportunity to show the grace of the Lord in your life? Or will you strike back in self-protection? Think about what you're going to do. How am I going to, how am I going to live this life? Proverbs 19.15. Let's look at this. Oh, here's one that Robertson loves. I like that last one, but this one's even better, I think. I like them all. Slothfulness cast one into a deep sleep, and the idle person shall suffer hunger. Now look at that last part. And the person who doesn't work shall suffer hunger. Isn't that right? Isn't that what that says? Idle? Now, you're saying, but I got laid off. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'll give you grace. It's Bible, I just said the last, last proverb, I've got to give you grace. But how long are you idle? And are you idle in as much as are you looking for work? That's not being idle if you're looking. Okay? I'm just, you know, I'm just talking about Proverbs here, that's all. So. <clears throat> slothfulness. What is slothfulness? Slothfulness, let me describe it to you, is doing a job slow. I've got to let it catch up. Hang on. Okay. It is dreading a job and resenting the effort it requires. That's slothfulness. It is a lazy attitude and effort toward work, and it starts a vicious, vicious cycle. Laziness saps your energy, slows you down, intimidates your spirit, puts you to sleep, laziness begets more laziness until you are a worthless, I'm not supposed to say bum in here, but I'll just, I won't say it. It leads to, I'm too tired to do anything. I think I'll take a nap. Soon you're too tired to even eat. Now the Proverbs 19, 24, 26, 15 actually says that. Too tired to eat. Now can you imagine? Maybe I need to get more slothful. Too tired to eat. Too tired to eat. It's pretty amazing. 
Um, how many understand what I'm talking about? You, you get into you get into a you, know, you get up in the morning and you don't get to moving. You feel like you're wore out all day. I mean, absolutely feel like you're tired. That's that's what it can you know it, it begins the cycle, and you can't hardly get out of it. So what then? What are the consequences of laziness? In a in a godly world, you'd starve to death. Now it's in a godly world. Uh, the Lord Jesus does not allow lazy people to eat, according to Proverbs 20, verse 4, and 2 Thessalonians 3.10. In fact, it should come up behind me here. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 through 15, I think, or 12. For while we were yet with you, we gave you this rule and charge. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Indeed, we hear that some among you are disorderly, that they are passing their lives in idleness, neglectful of duty, being busy with other people's affairs instead of their own and doing no work. Now we charge and exhort such persons as ministers in him, exhorting those in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that they work in quietness and earn their own food and other necessities. Okay? That pretty much says it, doesn't it? I don't see how it can be any clearer than that. An idle soul, a person not moving and working, shall suffer hunger. And because you are lazy... Good employers will not promote you or pay you very much. You'll stay in lowly jobs. You get poorer and poorer, according to Proverbs 10 and 4. You will soon not have enough to eat. So what is slothfulness? It is acting like a sloth. What is a sloth? The sloth is a mammal that lives in the trees of South America. They move very slowly, and they move upside down. They are the slowest land animals and travel sluggishly on the ground five feet in a minute. When moving through the trees upside down, they travel a little quicker, about 12 feet in a minute. Saws are very lazy animals. They sleep an average of 15 hours per day. And that's why he said slothful. Yes? What's that? Moss. Moss grows on them, and that's pretty, that's pretty slow. Moss growing on a person. Next time I see somebody that doesn't work, we're going to have that. Have the moss growing on you award. <laughs> get a big gob of moss and just get, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Each day brings several tests to prove whether you're a sloth or not. One is in the morning when it's time to get up. That's your beginning there. All right, you ready? Are you guys all ready for this? You know what you do when you're in the morning and the alarm goes off? You hit snooze button, hit it again. Lay there a little while. Come on now, you do it. You roll over. You cuddle yourself under the blankets. Wish you didn't have to get up. You're a sloth. What you are. Now Solomon actually mocked your antics in bed as resembling a door on hinges. And that's what Solomon said. Rolling back and forth in the comfort of your covers until poverty has fully destroyed you. That's what Solomon said. The diligent man is thankful for another day, a place to work, and things to do. He gets up and he gets going. Now, there's a downside to getting going and thinking you can do what you used to do. I was up here limping around. Just, I, I just was studying this and thinking, you know, you get up and because I, I believe this. The Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And that's exactly what I did. So what is the answer to that? You know, help me here. Call help. Call Rick. 
But what if you're, you know, you're so diligent that you can't wait for them to come? And your patience possess your soul? I guess there's always that scriptural answer in there. That's a problem with knowing too much scripture. There's always, there's always something there that messes you up. <laughs> Another daily test is when you face an unpleasant task. Let's look at this one. Of course, now I know most of you all have dishwashers, so you don't face a sink full of dirty dishes. Right? The men do, maybe, but not any of the ladies. And, you know, you, you, you get, that, that's another. It's a you know, sink full of dirty dishes or a large lawn. Oh, God, help us. Needing to be cut on a very hot day. You know, you will either jump on the job and get at it with full strength, or you will tell yourself how miserable it is and you have to work so hard and groan and moan all the way through it. Now, you know, I have a tendency to do that when I'm mowing the yard, I have to admit. Just have a tendency because I just... You know, it's not the mowing, it's the weed eating. Oh, well, yes. After you're done, you could do all that trimming. Some of you guys don't trim? No wonder you're messes. Bunch of sloths around here. Don't even trim their yards. <laughs> oh, you got moss on your grass. Ah, boy, I'm just a good thing I'm covering this one tonight. I can see it right now. You ever seen that guy like that? He groans and moans all the way through it. I used to work with this guy. Honest to goodness, I was younger then. And that's one of the reasons I'm the mess I am today. He would sit for hour trying to figure out how to easily do a five-minute job. He tried to figure out how to use equipment. Well, we need to go, you know, rent this and rent that. And by the time he was done, of course, he was smarter than I was. I'd go pick it up. You know, and you'd move it. He, he wanted to get a backhoe to do it, you know. And I just, I just drove me insane. And there are people like that. You know, they, they, it's either they're moaning and groaning. Well, I don't want to do that, you know. I don't want to. Uh, well, I'll be down on my back a lot more. I can't stand that kind of attitude. As far as I'm concerned, you ought to fire the Bible. Well, I'm not supposed to say bum, are we? Okay. <laughs> you know, the thing is, don't be a sloth. Don't think about how hard a job is. Think about how thankful you are when it's done. That's exactly how you have to do it. And, you know, be a little bit honest, more honest about it. Be thankful you have the health, the strength, the sunshine, and the lawnmower. All right? A hard worker gets done first, enjoys working hard, has, uh, has a sense of accomplishment, is rewarded by God and men. He's going somewhere. He drives his new car past the yard of the slothful, sees him trudging behind his mower. The slothful man finishes much later, complains about everything, is crushed by a defeated and exhausted spirit, has his used car repossessed. Fire the bum. I forgot. All right. The hard worker is happy, promoted, and asking for overtime. That's the hard worker. The slothful man desperately just wants to take a nap. It's all about ad- attitude, and your attitude is a choice. Everybody has a choice about how they feel about something. Attitude is always a choice. And you can sit, and you can be so low, and you can think about how difficult something is that you can actually think yourself into a gray funk. Either that, or you can get up and say, hey, let's get this thing done. I've got something else I want to do later on. And just not even think about it, but just do it. That's the way a good person, a person that's going to go somewhere, that's how they act and that's how they do it. And that's, that's a wonderful way to do it. It's a choice. Don't think about it. Just do it. 
Don't think about how long it will take. Start the job now. Get at it. Don't think work. Before you know it, the task is over. You're refreshed by the joy and the reward of a job well done. You're rejoicing in your abilities, and you will be promoted by men. And I believe that even in our society today and even in our economy, I still believe people work hard will get promoted. I still believe it's there. I just can't help it. Now, you can take somebody who's uh, on the street. We can't say street bum. That's not a good thing to say, so I won't say it. Or a panhandler, if you would, who sits and sleeps all day near his park bench. Now, think about this. He began with a choice. You do. Drug addicts on the street began with a choice. They began with a choice. And that choice is one day not to work hard. I'd rather just get high and forget it all. Now, I know, I know the Lord, and we want anybody that's got that kind of attitude and spirit, we want them in the church because God can change their lives, and we know that. Because a lot, such were some of you. Such were some of you. But on the other hand, it always begins with a choice. And the person that made the choice to get in that situation can make the choice to get out of that situation. You can make that choice. One day of not working hard made it easier to be slothful for a second day. In just a few days, this particular person had lost the habit, conviction, drive, and the joy of hard work. He lulled himself to sleep, and it was a sleep of a, I'm not going to say bum, sloth. We'll just say sloth. <laughs> you know, a lot of these people just get to the, the position where all you do is you just open your brown bag, take another drink of cheap wine, and go on. That's, that's their whole life. So what's the cure? We know the Holy Ghost is a cure. But let's put it in a carnal sense. Are you ready? Robertson 6 and 4. The cure, we, need, we could rid the country of a whole lot of those people that I'm not supposed to pronounce their name by ending a whole lot of unregulated social assistance. Now, think about it. Uh... Our nation, our nation's productivity could leap. We wouldn't be in the condition we're in right now. And I'm not being political here. I'm just telling you a truth. We wouldn't be in this condition if, and I believe that some people need social assistance. I'm not, certainly not against it. I think there are people that need it. But we could end a whole lot of this if it would be regulated just a little bit better. And they check the situation. We know that that would happen. How many people? How many people, I mean, what you see in a church today is so much different than what you saw in a church 50 years ago. And you know it as well as I do. People that used to come into church 50 years ago had some kind of background. They prayed through the Holy Ghost. I don't come out of, of, of denominal churches that believed in not being lazy, that believed in working. Now you get people that come into church today, and I'm certainly not saying that about everybody, but they don't have a clue. And I don't blame them. It's, just, it's a society that has, has, has pushed social assistance to the point, what's the sense in working when you can make more money by just staying at home? All right, get off your soapbox. All right, I'll get off. Prosperity would abound much more than it does. You know, really, the truth of the matter is, starvation is the best teacher for good work habits, according to Proverbs sixteen twenty six and 20, verse 4. It's what it says. Men have a universal tendency to be thankful and motivated about working when your belly button gets close to your backbone. That's just the truth. If our nation stopped protecting and subsidizing the slothful men, they would learn to work or they would starve. Either way, society and the workforce are purged of people who don't try. 
You ever stop and think about the fairness of all of it when people, and, and if you haven't seen this becoming the end, then you've got to be blind. Because it's going to get to the point where the middle class people, like most of us, middle class people are going to get start, tired of subsidizing everybody else. The Bible has the right way of doing it. There is a right way of helping the poor. And, and it should be coming through the church, not through the government. If you had a group of deacons that looked into the situation, are you hear me? That's how the Bible, that's how it was done. And they helped the people who really needed to be helped, not somebody who was just trying to live off of it. If all the churches would get together and stop the one person who went from church to church getting money. And then the people that were trying could be helped. Instead, we've got those people that are sitting, boy, I'm really getting on the soapbox, that are sitting in the churches who won't ask for help that really need it. And everybody said amen. Amen. That's good preaching. Thank you. All right. The cure for yourself. Don't make excuses. Proverbs 22, 13, 26, 13, Sue 16. Don't make excuses. Get to work. Bible says man doesn't work, he doesn't eat, right? That doesn't mean that you have to make $940 an hour. It says you just have to work. I can't help but believe that if a person got a job at McDonald's making minimum wage, that God would be bound by his word to take care of that person. And if you paid your tithes on that little bit that you can't afford to pay tithes on, you'd even be more wealthy. Yeah. Don't make excuses. Get to work. Learn that extra time in bed is a horrible waste. I hope all of you tomorrow when you wake up think about me. I'm yelling at you. Just stand there yelling at you. I'll be yelling, get up! Every time I look at Louie, I go back when I was in basic training First night in basic training, I went, went, and I had a Puerto Rican drill sergeant. He'd come in, got right to the base of the foot of my bed, and he yelled, Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up! Every time I see Louie, I can see that hat on him, and I see the same man. It looked just like Louie. may have been Louie. I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, just can you imagine that in the morning? Get up, get up! Attack your job with a fiery zeal. Get at it. You ever thought, you know, when you try to loaf through the day, it goes about twice as long. It really does, about twice as long. Uh, you know, just think, think about like this. Think about you're working for the king of kings. All right, just think about it. You're working for the king of kings. Think about working for kings. For the, that, you know, and that may be your next promotion. Think about that, too. Working is, is pleasure and a privilege to the godly man, and he'll be content with whatever abilities uh, and, and job that God brings his way. And let's, let's, let's go just a little bit further with this. Now, again, I'm, I'm not talking about education as a whole. But parents, this is a lesson to teach your children each day. It doesn't matter who discovered Bolivia. And the atomic number for titanium is 22. It doesn't matter. Or that Spanish for nachos is nachos. But, but it does matter. Okay. But it does matter how children get up in the morning and attack their tasks for the day. That's what matters. Hard work and zealous attitude are not the properties of any race, nationality, or temperament. They are rather the marks of the children of God. And if you have learned the wisdom of God from this proverb, you'll not subsidize or protect slothful children. 
You won't do that to them. You know, the lesson of this proverb applies for all areas of your life, not just employment, washing dishes, or cutting the grass. It includes your attitude and efforts in your marriage and child training and personal devotions, prayer, and the worship of God. Are you ambitious, committed, energetic, and fervent in all these duties as well? There's only one way to live and approach our responsibilities, and if we do that all to the glory of God, if everything that we do is to the glory of God, how much better we're going to be. Never think for a minute that this doctrine is unique to the Old Testament because Paul condemns slothfulness in the New Testament. Romans 12 and 11 and 1 Thessalonians um, no, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians 3.10, and he called for the exclusion of any church members compromising these orders. The grace of God that converts sinners and the proper preaching of his word will transform men from the slothful habits and thinking of this lazy and spoiled generation, and it certainly will. Our Lord and the Apostle Paul were both diligent workers. Jesus often did not have time for leisure. Look at Mark 3.20 and 6.31. He didn't want night to come because he would have to quit working. Look at John 4.34. Paul labored more diligently than the other apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, or excuse me, 5 and 10. He preached during the day and worked at night. He preached during the night and worked during the day. Acts 18 and 3, 1 Thessalonians 2.9 and 2 Thessalonians 3.8. There is no room in the kingdom of heaven for lazy and slothful people. There is not. Neither Jesus nor Paul was slothful, and they are both our examples. In First uh, Corinthians 11, verse 1, they put their hands to the will of God, and they did it with all of their might. And we cannot expect to do any less, not any one of us. Thank God that we have the opportunity, and thank God that we have the people working in His church that we do. But just remember, it is it's a benefit. It's, a, it's something special from God that you have that. Always remember that. Proverbs 19.16, Proverbs 19.16, He that keep, keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul, but he that despiseth, despiseth his ways shall die. He who keeps the commandments of the Lord keeps his own life, but he who despises his ways shall die. Now, this is asking the question, do you really care about yourself? Because there's a way to live that brings happiness and success. There's a way to live that will kill you. There's a way that we live that you can be successful. We've been talking about all of this. Is really telling you, every proverb is telling you that there is a way to live that you can be successful or there is a way to live that will kill you. It's that simple. And that choice, again, is yours. The results are God's. Do you love or despise God's ways for living? And if you keep God's commandment, you keep yourself from pain and trouble. If you despise God's ways, you commit suicide. So what is the commandment to keep your soul? It is all God's commandments, no matter what part of life each may apply to, according to Psalm 119, 128. The singular noun is a collective noun for all God's commandments, Proverbs 6, 20 and 13, 13. The singular can also be the fear of the Lord, which includes all other commandments. Uh, I believe that Psalm 119, 128, did you have that up there? It is up there. Okay, I didn't get there. For I esteem as right all yes, all your precepts. Uh, that's off the line there. I hate every false way. It's too long for you, wasn't it? Uh, also bring up um, Ecclesiastes 12.13. Ecclesiastes 12.13. There we go. 
All has been heard. The end of the matter is fear God, revere and worship Him, knowing that He is and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of a man, the full original purpose of His creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. That's, uh, that's really linked in that particular one, didn't it? Ecclesiastes 12:13. the whole duty of man is to, keep, to love God and to keep His commandments. That is the whole duty of man. And that's what this proverb is telling you. The man who keeps God's commandments is doing something very good for his own soul. He is pursuing wisdom and all of its benefits. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. In Proverbs 16, 17. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Proverbs 21, 23. So how does a man despise God's ways? He rejects God's ways for the various aspects of his life. We interpret his ways as God's ways because God is to be, in this particular case, it's called elliptically understood uh, from the first clause and because men do not truly despise their own ways. The man here believes he has a better idea on how to live, so he rejects the counsel of God for his life. So what are, what are the consequences? When a man chooses his own way for a decision in life, Rather than God's ways, he chooses death. In other words, whatever decision that you decide to make in life, whether, I mean, some small decisions I think we can handle, but when it comes to a major decision, we need to check with God first. We need to look at His Word, see if it's covered in His Word. If it's not covered in His Word, we need to pray. And if it's big enough, we need to fast. And we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to truly be honest. Are we hearing from God or are we hearing from our own desires? That's, again, why I chose that particular uh, theme for this next year. You know, is it for me or for the kingdom? What am I doing this for? And I don't care how, how much prayer that you put into something. I don't care how much thought you put into something. You have to be honest enough to, to yourself. Am I the kind of person that needs attention? Is that why I want this particular ministry? Or is that why I want to teach a Bible study? I'm not telling you to not teach a Bible study. I mean, even, even if you do something the wrong way for Jesus Christ, still God gets a glory. That's a scripture for that. But on the other side of it, what are you missing through the whole thing because you're not doing it with the right motive? Is it for me or for the kingdom? And so when a man, a man starts despising and he, you know, his, his ways, then the man is, is actually in a, in a position to where he can destroy himself. And, and God's, God's infallible revelation, the Bible teaches men how to be happy and successful. And if they rebel against his wisdom, they bring on themselves dysfunction and pain and trouble and eventually death. They die early by accidents. Capital punishment, disease, revenge, or God's judgment. And if a man truly cared for himself, he would keep God's commandments. Here's how Moses taught this wisdom to Israel. He said, "Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that you may live, and he may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. Deuteronomy 5.33 Consider a simple example. Instead of honoring parents as God commanded, men allow disrespect, jokes, rebellion, never seeing that such irreverent, foolish people will eventually run into a human authority that will crush them. And they lose, God, they, they lose God's promised blessings for parental honor. It, it's lose-lose it's to reject this commandment of God. 
that your life may be lengthened, according to the Scripture. Honor your father and mother, that you may have long life. Do you realize that simple Scripture, how that sometimes we miss the whole meaning? You honor them, regardless. And if you don't, even if you don't like them, you honor them. Ooh, it got quiet. But you don't know my daddy. Honor him anyway. I didn't say you have to move back in with him. I said you had to honor him. In fact, he probably preferred that you don't move back in. But you honor him. Don't make him look foolish. You know, I, no matter what, you, you have to do. Folks, uh, these, there's a reason we're covering this, because there's so many simple things that we think that we're exempt from, that we're not exempt from them, not at all. And we have to, we have to, to begin to understand that there are, there are things that, that hurt us, that, that actually uh, do damage to us because, because of that very thing. And consider another example. Instead of being faithful to one's spouse as God's commanded, men promote casual sex and adultery, never seeing that such promiscuous fools will eventually end up diseased, divorced, lonely, scarred, unloved, or killed. They could have had the pleasure of a devoted spouse and a happy family, but they wanted it their way. God will separate all men, those who did the will of their Father in heaven and those who did things their way. And Jesus warned, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, and, they will, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. In Matthew seven twenty one through 23. In other words, he's saying that some people who sit in churches and they can do everything they think that people are watching right in public view, but behind, out of public view, they're completely different. They're not doing the will of God. And the thing is that regardless of how much you may hide it from me, regardless of how much you may hide it from, from anybody else, God sees everything that we do. And if you're not doing the will of God, you're going to lose out in eternity. You're going to lose out. Do you want a rule for life? Here's your rule for life. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Instead of despising his ways, humble yourselves and have respect unto his ways. He said, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. In Psalm 119, 15. I will meditate on thy ways. It's a wonderful thing. I guess I better stop. I've got about another hour's worth. Better stop. Get windier as you get older. You can't help it. God can't heal you from old age or being windy. It just didn't happen. Because it's a part of being old that you get longer winded. <sighs> Let me ask you, just, just for a moment, in anything that I've taught here this evening, anybody have a quick add to? Think about what I just, what I just taught about slothfulness, about anger about not being obedient to the commandments of God. Anybody have anything they want to add? Question that you may have? Question you may have? Everything perfectly clear? And none, nobody, absolutely nobody, when your alarm goes off in the morning, you will jump up. 
get in the front leaning rest position, do 25 push-ups. Four. Go ahead. Okay. What's that? Uh, my wife will answer. My alarm, my alarm is set for, uh, let's see, uh, I don't have an alarm. <laughs> I just shut the phone off, so I didn't want to happen. <laughs> All right, so uh, he's getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Be sure he gets up and he doesn't turn over and throw the head. And, you know, I heard that uh, Sunday night we're supposed to get down to 29 degrees. So Monday morning will be the hard one for people to get up, 29 degrees. But uh, <clears throat> I'm going to get up and do some jumping jacks and go get in a deer stand. Ah. Anybody else? Comments, complaints? Did you have one? No. Comments, complaints, attitude adjustments, anybody needs? You got your hand up or are you just stretching? Okay. <laughs> Not going to be slothful. Going to jump out of the bed. You go to work tomorrow? You don't have a job? Get one. Get out and get a job tomorrow. You're going to school? You know what school is, don't you? That's for people who don't want to work. <laughs> Let's all stand and we need to pray. Hallelujah. <laughs> You're going to get a good job after you're done with school, right? Good for you. You know, I've got to give you a little grief. Both of you together. You know what you can remind me of, don't you? Cue ball and eight ball. <laughs> I think I'm just going to give you a couple of T-shirts that says that from now on. <laughs> oh. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, and say, get up early tomorrow, and you're dismissed in Jesus' name.